Before we start, we just wanted to say up front, thank you for listening. If this episode, or UX Podcast in general, gives you joy, then please visit uxpodcast.com slash support and say thank you by giving us a one-off donation or a repeating donation from just a few dollars a month to hundreds of corona. And by funding UX Podcast together with James and myself, we can hopefully bring you eight more years of an independently curated UX podcast. Thank you for being wonderful. UX Podcast Episode 215. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. Helping the UX community explore ideas and share knowledge since 2011. We are your hosts, Pat Axbom and James Royal Lawson. With listeners in 186 countries from Bolivia to Peru. In today's episode, we're talking to Daryl Weir. Daryl Weir is a senior data scientist at Futurize and a co-creator of the Intelligence Augmentation Design Toolkit. Well done. Thank you. Um, You don't know how many takes we've done of this. Um, He's a mathematician and has more degrees than I have legs. Um, And he's interested in the intersection of machine learning, design, and human-computer interaction. Daryl is passionate about helping others understand the emerging field of AI and believes firmly in the power of a multidisciplinary approach in creating great experiences with this technology. We sat down with Daryl at UXLX to understand more about where artificial artificial intelligence is heading. So everybody is talking about AI and machine learning, and there are ethical issues being talked about where machines taking over, people are scared, people are seeing possibilities, people are trying to sell it and hype it. Uh, what is the truth? <laughs> <laughs> nice easy question. To yeah. this one. <laughs> so there's a quote that I like uh, by Pedro Domingos who says that you know people worry that machines are going to get too smart and take over the world, but the real problem is that they're too stupid and they've already taken over the world. Like the this technology, you know, AI, machine learning, whatever term you want to use for it, it's kind of everywhere. Not only like Google, Facebook, Amazon, these big kind of tech first companies, but also like older industries, mm. you know, airlines and retail and all kinds of stuff. Like people are using this technology now and it's having an impact on the world. I think people get too caught up in that, like envisioning these kind of like Skynet, rise of the robots kind of futures and maybe lose sight of like the problems that are happening now or have already happened. And We've got the, I think marketing or the way, the way that companies present um, this technological space is, they say, AI. Um, whereas it isn't, is it? I mean, it's, it's pretty much never AI. Yeah, like, I mean, I guess it depends what you want to mean by artificial intelligence, right? Yeah. Like, like, people hear the term and I think they've been conditioned by, you know, 50, 60, 70 years of movies and TV shows to think about AI as like kind of a brain in a box, like, you know, some human-like thing. But realistically, no one has any idea how to do that. Like everything that is currently referred to as AI is like statistics from the 1950s. And yeah, like, like I said, it can still be powerful, but it's not like, it's not like human-like, it's not going to 
like reason and adapt and go rogue and teach itself to improve itself and all, like all these kind of fears that people kind of throw around. The dystopian nightmare of yeah AI's taking us over. Yeah, like it's not. It's just yeah, it's like statistics and branding. That's like. <laughs> but how do we have a real conversation about something that is undefined that we dis even disagree about what it means? Yeah, I think basically whenever you sit down to have a conversation about it, you just have to like, you know, agree on a common set of terms. Like I like in the workshop, that's one of the first things that I I tell people is like, um, okay, artificial intelligence is like very broadly the study of computer systems that act like humans in some way, but using that term is not super useful. I think most of what's like being hyped right now is is, is machine learning, like this like kind of subfield of the artificial intelligence domain. And I think as long as you keep it on that level and you know, okay, we're talking about this machine learning algorithm and like these tools, then you can have a conversation. But if you're just like kind of AI fear mongering, like, you know, it's, it's really hard to have a meaningful conversation. Like you really need mm -hmm. to define what are we talking about? Like, are we talking about people using data and processing it with mm -hmm. these statistical techniques? Or are we talking about someone trying to build like a general intelligence? Right. And, and most cases today, we are talking about machine learning algorithms. Yeah, for and, sure. And algorithms yeah, generally. Like, yeah, like no one really knows like how to build a, you know, an artificial intelligence, like a general human-like intelligence, because I guess fundamentally no one really knows how the human brain works. Like we have ideas, we like the whole field of neuroscience exists and we've studied the brain, but like fundamentally we don't know like what is the interaction that creates consciousness. Like, so without understanding stuff like that, there's no reasonable principles to start from for actually creating an artificial version of that. I don't know, maybe 10, 20, 50 years down the line, we have a better understanding of the brain and we know like, you know, like consciousness is this weird emergent phenomenon, but maybe we figure it out someday, but I guess there's no guarantees about that either. Will uh, AIs today help us figure that out? <laughs> I don't think so. I <laughs> like, yeah, because you have like AI is like so narrow right now. Like yeah. machine learning, like you really have to like sp like pick a very specific like mathematical formulation of whatever task it is you want the thing to learn. And if you can't come up with that that formulation, if you don't know how to ask the right question, then like there's no real way to. <laughs> progress towards the goal well that, that's that's an excellent point i mean how when when and how do i come to the point of 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 having a need for machine learning in what i'm working on yeah that's a kind of very important point like there's again i'm going to crib from someone else and steal a quote um there's another professor andrew ing who's kind of a, a big deal in the machine learning space and he wrote this like uh harvard business review article a while ago must be like three years or so where he said that um, like anything that a human can do in like a second or less or like with, with less than a second of thought we can automate using AI and I don't know like that's I mean obviously he's trying to be provocative he's trying to like get the discussion going but I think that's maybe not the right kind of like if you just go around your business looking for everything that someone does in a second or less and hitting it with the AI hammer. I don't <laughs> think that's like a a winning strategy. So I think you really need to look like at the human side, like fundamentally, like at least as it exists now, machine learning, artificial intelligence is a toolbox. It's a set of things that you can use to process data that you might have to 
you know, do certain like well-defined tasks, um, and which ones you should be like looking at. I don't think it's fundamentally different from like discovering any other problem in your organization. Like you still need to do whatever your design discovery process is. Like you know, interview people, figure out like what are the actual pain points, the kind of human needs that need to be addressed. And then once you have those, then you can start to look. Okay, like what data do we have? What data could we have? Like, could, is there some way we can easily collect or generate new data that might enable us to solve the problem? Going around and looking for these kind of like boring automatable tasks. I mean, there's like there's wins to be had there, but I don't think it's like how companies should be creating their strategy around this. Like, I think the rule of design is like should be more important than it is now. Like, there should be tighter collaboration between the two disciplines. And why isn't there? What do you think? I mean, like, organizational silos are not unique to data science, I guess. Like, yeah. people don't talk to each other. People no, don't know how to talk mm. to each other. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I guess that's part of the motivation behind, like, what we do in the workshop. Yeah. It's just that, like, if you can build a common language, like, if you can just, you know, try and build a bridge between, like, design professionals and, like, guys like me who are mathematicians and have that kind of background like, like being being able to talk about these things like you say hi like how do you talk about it when no one knows what the terms mean so first mm. thing is like define the terms right mm. um but you know like most organizations probably aren't doing that like i mean you know there are people who are like google just i think this week or last week released um like their kind of guidelines for like human-centered machine learning and I haven't read them all yet, but from skimming it, uh, like they seem to be talking about some of the same stuff that we are, and I think hopefully there's going to be like increasing consensus in the field, like how to do this, how to have these conversations. Do you think there will be a need for uh, regulation, considering all the fears that people have, that you actually have to have some way of evaluating if this is being done with a considering human uh, impact or environmental Im impact even? Regulation is a really tricky one because like fundamentally you're trying to like at that point you're trying to legislate math which is, <laughs> which is hard to do <laughs> um like i don't know that you could have a law that was kind of specific enough to give like meaningful guidelines to practitioners but not so restrictive that it basically killed the field um but at the same time i feel like We've seen stuff like Cambridge Analytica and these kind of like scandals of you know people using data to like hyper specifically target their political advertising and influence voters and so on that level it feels like we need something right like it mm. like if this is just left to run uh, unchecked then like you very easily create a dystopia. No, but you're you're right because that circles back to what you were saying in the beginning that it's really from a case to case basis. Uh, we don't ban hammers, but we ban people from using hammers to kill people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, yeah, I guess there's like yeah. obvious stuff there, yeah. like you know, like like the way that like using this technology for um, like military applications, for mm -hmm. example, like fully autonomous vehicles that can kill mm -hmm. people. Probably not a good idea to have mm -hmm. those around. And I hope that you know there's going to be legislation around that stuff, mm -hmm. but like some of the the impact that the technology is having now is more insidious than that. It's not just like kind of obvious, like, you know, drones bad kind of 
thing. No, exactly. It's yeah. like, you know, it's these, like, you know, Facebook creating filter bubbles and mm. people, like, you know, which is helping to, like, increase political division and, like, mm. make it harder for people to, like, get around the table and, you know, you, like, you hear stories about, like, the way that YouTube recommends content is, like, mm. radicalizing people, like, to, like, right-wing ideologies and a lot of, like, you know, recent school shooters and stuff like that have been heavily influenced by, like, content they get served by these machine learning algorithms. Mm, yeah, exactly. It's creating um, alternative views of the world due to the way that the data is split or been, been analysed, split and segregated to, to produce that reality for you. Yeah. One person's Facebook isn't another person's Facebook. No, for sure. And, like, you know, like, I don't think there was ever, you know, a meeting somewhere on Facebook where they said, okay, let's sit down and create this kind of world. But, mm. like, the, I guess the goal of like these recommendation algorithms is to like keep people using the service mm. and it turns out that a good way to do that is just to like show them extreme content or things that like agree with them or like provoke them or whatever like um and you know if you optimize for that and then machine learns hey this got results people stayed on our website clicked more links then they try and do the same thing again and you end up creating these like yeah, like, yeah, like different Facebooks or different kind of views on the world and like all kinds of strange things have started to happen, like, you know, the rise of fake news and then like the kind of renewed popularity of like conspiracy theories and the flat earth movement and all this kind of, like, again, I don't think there was ever a meeting at Facebook that someone was like, you know, we really need to support and encourage our flat earthers, like, but there is a community on Facebook that's like that. Yeah, and, and yeah. that's the interesting aspect, of course. I mean, mathematics is is is, is brutally um, you know, analytical in that sense. I mean, it, it's it doesn't care whether it's a flat Earth bit of data. No, of course not. Unless like you tell it to care or or highlight how it can or give it the tools to learn that that is an object of a particular type, and maybe it's not too good to have too many objects of that type being spat out of the other end. Yeah, like. Yeah, you really have to like case by case kind of like look at how you model the data. If you just have like, you know, every news article is a document and we just, our thing recommends documents. It, it knows nothing about the content, it's just about like the overlap of the common words and stuff. Like, unless you explicitly build in filters or, you know, try to do something there, I don't know. It's like, there's no way to prevent it from creating these kind of bubbles. Because yeah. basically it's reflecting parts of reality anyway and yeah. I think we put a human we put a human lens on on our anger at some of these um, uh, machine learning or algorithms and, and AIs that uh, you know, oh well they shouldn't be produced they shouldn't be spitting out all this violent content recommending it there I mean it it's not guilty no like yeah it's fundamentally it is again it's just math and it's hard to like legislate against that or like you know have a strong position on what the math did but like I don't want to you know give the impression that that's all it is like there are human decisions like like I said like design is a very important part of this like mm. what like how do you design that like formulation of the task like like what what is you know like what is the reward that you give the machine learning algorithm for spitting out some piece of content for some recommendation um, and you know there's like the very simple way to do it is just someone spend more time on our site but these other things like you know are we actively making the world a worse place somehow those are you know judgment calls and like someone needs to make them and i don't have easy answers to it either it's not just a case of like 
turning a dial somewhere and then like everything gets better because I think the field is in a weird spot like the machine learning of today to the kind of machine learning of the future at least I hope is kind of like alchemy to the modern day chemistry like, <laughs> like we don't really know or have a full understanding of like what's going on like what are the full range of emergent possibilities from this from this math like it's you know even though the, the baseline looks pretty simple like when you throw data into it anything can happen then yeah. yeah so if we switch from perspective because it's so easy to get into this dystopian discussion yeah but why are we really excited about it? what are the possibilities why is everyone talking about it in the positive sense what could we make yeah so there i guess it's like this idea of so the title of our workshop is intelligence augmentation and that's kind of where I see like exciting stuff happening is like rather than trying to fully automate and replace humans because you know that's like both very difficult to do and very expensive uh, but rather the idea of using these technologies to kind of automate the boring parts of someone's day like um, or to you know like challenge their creativity so when I was working in academic research we wrote a couple of papers about a, a system that was uh, intended to support designers like um, as they were doing kind of wireframing sketching like ideation um, and basically they would sketch a layout on this uh, touchscreen thing and the machine learning would like try and evaluate their design based on like models of like how people perceive like color and symmetry and, and these are kind of perceptual models and then it would try to like jumble things around and move stuff and like change colors and try and find like alternative designs mm. like say hey like you're doing this have you considered doing something like this mm. um and i think now also in like mainstream design tools stuff like that is starting to happen like this kind of idea of generative design <coughs> uh where it spits out things that you know this might not necessarily be the single best design but it's kind of different to what you're doing maybe you want to consider this and like we've trialed that or we trialed our tool with designers and you know it was pretty crude it wasn't like doing like world-class yeah. wireframe by any means but like we had a few or we had feedback where people were like hey that was you know that was surprising like i was kind of i zoned in on my first idea for how to solve like whatever toy problem we set them in the in the trial but then when they saw the suggestions, they were like, oh, okay, yeah, like, that like, took me out of the box. And that kind of thing, like, supporting creative work, supporting knowledge work by a designer could theoretically do, like, you know, many, many different layouts and then evaluate which ones they want to proceed with. But in practice, that's not really what happens. There are time constraints and yeah. all that stuff. So if you have these tools that can just, like, explore space very quickly, evaluate layouts very quickly, then I think that's really interesting. Like, uh, like how do you make people better at the thing? That, you know, the interesting part of their job. Like, just like you know, the actual act of sketching is not necessarily the most interesting part. Like, you know, the the kind of creative process and the evaluation process and the sharing process. Like, all that stuff is very important and very interesting. But you know, there are, like there are lots of in, like subtasks that are pretty routine and not just in design in many fields. Like, I mean, I guess Google search is kind of the classic example, right? Like, you could theoretically replicate whatever Google does, but it would take you, like, a year to do a single search. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, Google is this this amazing tool that, like, 
exponentially increases your ability to find new information and to kind of mm. research stuff. And I think that's the kind of angle where people really see uh, like the potential there. Like, you know, if, if we can free up like human brain power to not focus on like the really mundane parts of jobs yeah. and like really, you know, give people creative expression and that stuff, I think that's super exciting. That, that, that ties in nicely with the quote you had at the beginning of this this conversation with the the one second, I mean if it takes more than a second, but but I think spanning pulling that timeline out a bit more, yeah, like you say, some things that maybe would take us hours of of of, of our time invested in creating something or doing something or finding something, yeah, then then that feels a kind of safer bet to to like to put your focus on to try and try and come up with something that can lift you rather than kind of mm. replace you. Yeah, for sure. I think that's where it, where it, like the value is. Like, in terms of replacing people, like there's some stuff. Um, you know, like self-driving cars are like almost here. They've been almost here for like 20 years, but still, like they're coming. Like Tesla has the autopilot now, and like you can. It's not too hard to imagine that like five years from now you can probably buy like an autonomous car. And that's. I don't know. That that's an interesting thing, right? Like my father is a truck driver, and like that job most likely does not exist in 30 years. Um, so, you know, I don't know what percentage of the population are, like, drive for a living, taxi drivers, truck drivers, whatever. But, so, you know, like, that whole segment of the population is going to be out of work, but hopefully, you know, we create, like, new interesting things to do based on these technologies, maybe, or... You know, there's like more room for creative work, and or perhaps maybe they're they're not. Gonna be. I mean, if we look at um, autopilots, they've been around now for uh, decades. Yeah, and and now they've been taking over more and more tasks from from pilots. And a good a good bulk of your your flight from A to B nowadays is um, automated. Sure. Um, yeah. But it still has two pilots. Um, yeah. Okay, that's maybe partly down to to, to regulation. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and the and the demand that we put on the systems that they have to they have to hand over to humans in certain situations, so you yeah. avoid the, I guess the 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 ethical dilemma of well, how do we blame the machine when the machine makes the wrong wrong choice. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting question as well. Like, as we automate more and more of this stuff, like who does the blame fall on? Like. Yeah. Hopefully it's not the mathematician, otherwise I'm in trouble, but... <laughs> <laughs> you better start working on that contract. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a very, yeah, yeah, good point. I mean, how, how, do you, how do you avoid being responsible? Yeah, like, I mean, I, I, I feel like I don't want to divest all responsibility, right? Like, I feel <laughs> like I should be invested somehow that the things I build are... Yeah, absolutely. ...are, like, you know, safe and, eth safe and ethical. But... You know, like there's a line there. Right? At the same time, like I don't want to be like standing in court someday saying like, you know, your recommendation system like created these weird situations, and you know, someone got radicalized. Like I don't think there's like I don't think any individual data scientist like building models to do this stuff um, should necessarily be held to like that kind of standard but at the same point same time who should be like mm. like is there mm. then does it fall on the company management or like mm. I, I, I don't have good answers to exactly that. at what point is it no longer an experiment that you're performing on humans because it seems like it's perpetually an experiment because we don't know what will happen yeah we've also got the i mean the, the analogy with um with with, with safety in in various other industries 
Mm. We look at look at like building or something. I mean, you know, you wouldn't let your colleague, you know, go out onto the building site without the helmet on. You know, these 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 kind of frameworks of the building mm. site that tell you about you've got to check each other, or even mm. if you're going harness harness work, you have to check each mm. other's harnesses and make sure it's all kind of secure and things before right. you start your work. So I mean, maybe we're going to look into it, you know, rather than having to regulate in in a in a in a very specific sense because it's as you said very difficult. Mm. How do you regulate maths? You can you can regulate the the copilots, the the people driving the yeah. systems, and say check each other. Like you said about mm. now, am I doing something that's unethical? You know, someone else will help you. Yeah, so that, that. that's one thing I think is kind of a small trend within the industry right now is like people are starting to care more about the auditability and the transparency of the systems that they're mm. building. Like, you know, not necessarily like. You know, like self-driving car crashes, and you want to know like who's responsible, but also you want to know like what was the exact situation in the system at the time of the crash, and like you want to be able to replicate that exactly, mm. so that someone can audit it and figure out what happened and make sure like that doesn't happen again. Um, and I think historically that hasn't really been the case. People have just been like, okay, I've got database A over here, database B over here. Let's pull some stuff from those tables, and then. Mm throw it into my machine learning framework and it's all kind of hacked together but now there's much more emphasis on kind of data governance and like you know this decision was made by this model which was trained with this data mm. and these parameters um, and I think that's going to be like increasingly important as hopefully we you know take the field a bit more seriously like like I see like that kind of alchemy versus chemistry or like mm -hmm. building an actual engineering discipline out of this stuff because right now we're kind of in the like wizard sleeves and exactly it's easy to find yourself in a in a space where um you're detached from the end result and even l maybe potentially lack compassion because of how detached it is when you're working with the the data hmm. and then there's a car out there driving around in a in a real place yeah yeah for sure like just I guess being aware of like what is the actual context of use of your system like yeah. there's been all kinds of horror stories or like companies building systems to like determine whether or try and predict whether someone like a criminal who's been arrested try and predict whether they're gonna reoffend mm. to see like um, you know how to set the bail for that person should we give them bail or set it high or low or whatever mm. um, and then you know predictably the thing that happens is that the the system is, is basically racist. Like, yeah. like the data that's based on comes from the United States justice system, which is, as systems go, not the most perfect one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and even though they have kind of all the data, it's not like they have missing data. But still, the system is like the data is biased. Yeah, it's yeah. Like yeah that, mm. that's that's just so, so fascinating that you, you know, if we, if we can see there's a possibility to create um, machine-based, uh, more pure systems. But what we're using to s to s kind of kickstart those mm. you know, more purist systems is stuff that we've done badly, yeah. what, like you know, stuff we've been doing badly for decades. So we use that data to feed into. I mean, it's n it's a it's no. Of course, it's clear that they're going to be bad outcomes from the. Yeah, like you know, again, this is mostly just statistics. So it's mm. like if you show a, a set of biased patterns, it's only going to learn to repeat and reinforce those. Like. Mm. Yeah, but you know, as as the engineer, as the machine learning guy sitting somewhere in the basement, like if you don't have that context, like you don't have, you know, you haven't met the user, you haven't like 
really like interrogated the kind of the context that you're working in, then it's very easy to imagine how these kind of racist systems get built, right? Like they just don't have the connection, they don't have the full context and maybe they never thought about it. Um, and that, to me, also brings it full, full circle back to what you were saying about uh, it's really important now for design and AI and machine learning to marry their disciplines so that designers can be more helpful in actually uh, making it transparent how you are affecting real people. Yeah, that was a frustration of mine when I first started working in this field is that, you know, like projects were being sold as like data scientist goes and does data science mm -hmm. things. But like... That's, it shouldn't be an add-on, it should be like a core consideration of like the product development process. Like, yes. Yeah, I hope we can get there. Like, it's, I mean, it seems, based on you know people releasing different material around this sub subject, that there is a growing awareness of the need, and, but we're not there yet for sure. Like, yeah. There's a lot of room to grow. Well, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful with people like you in the industry uh, helping us see the road we have to take. Completely agree. Thank you for joining us. So what I love about this interview is that uh, Daryl is actually obliterating this notion of AI being something intelligent. He's calling it statistics and branding, and I just love that. I'm going to be reusing that and steal it from him because it's not really some. We don't know about human consciousness. He's going into that as well. We don't know enough to say that anything is intelligent. We, it can't reason for itself. It's all about us feeding it stuff. But we've framed it so that AI has become something that people look up to and being sold as something that is brand new, which it also isn't. Well, no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to correct you or such, but I'm saying, well, we, we know the, from previous mm. talks uh, or shows that AI is like narrow AI and mm. broad AI. Yeah. But here we're talking about machine learning. Mm -hmm. We're not even talking about AI. Exactly. And, and, and that's exactly mm. what Daryl said, mm. that mm. stuff that's mm. being called AI um, is machine learning, which mm. is um, statistics from the 1950s mm. sprinkled <laughs> with branding. Um, <laughs> Which um, which mm. is the which is the brutal honest truth about mm. it, um, and and you know, I th I th in some ways I think we're past the point of being able to retrieve AI mm. for its true definition. Yeah, because I, I think mm. it's now um, the fact that computers are doing stuff mm. for us mm. using t data from the fifties compared with branding mm. um, is so <clears throat> so well entrenched or so far reaching in our everyday conversations mm. is mainstream yeah so, so AI, ai has gone mainstream without ai being invented right it's different from when you and i would have talked about ai in the 1990s for example yeah. and it was something completely different but now ai has become this thing that organizations implement to save time to make things more efficient and to predict something perhaps yeah. as well it's to yeah. sell more it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's, um, it's mathematics mm. that's been applied to data sets mm. um, yeah, to, to do things, to do more things or mm. do them quicker. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> um, <coughs> dear me. You need water. <coughs> I probably do. <laughs> I pause. <coughs> to do more things um, quicker um, or, or, or cheaper. Mm. Um, um, and and without we're not necessarily thinking mm. it's just it's just brutally processing data and it is exciting because the, uh, with the, we have so much data we have all this big data and uh, obviously we can get machines to do exciting stuff mm -hmm. but the point he's making about data from the 1950s is really interesting because that makes me think so 
are we now freezing time? The, all the biases that we've had across the last past 60 years, we're building them into our systems, which means that they actually spread more and wider than perhaps uh, if we've, we've evolved our cultures and practices and our beliefs and habits and, and we have new biases. But the machines have our old biases in them mm. built in. So how do we make the machines evolve? That's a I think, challenge. <clears throat> I think it's even worse. Mm. Uh, it's not only the, the, the data from the 1950s. Mm. You're actually... Um, uh, I, mean, I think maybe we had a... We're ampl amplifying the biases from previous yeah, times. Exactly, yes. Because we, maybe we've kind of mm. moved beyond mm. certain them for a mm. little while. Mm. But when we push all this data we've mm. collected, mm. the machines uncover stuff mm. that we maybe didn't quite mm. realize existed. Which actually, that's so true. And actually this frames this whole far right movement across the world. It's, it's interesting because we're talking then about data from the middle of the 1900s. So what were our beliefs and habits back then? So, and that is what we're amplifying now. So that has become more present in society. Could that be something that's factoring into how our belief systems perhaps are going backwards in time? <clears throat> I think definitely mm -hmm. so. We're we're amplifying, mm -hmm. um, and we need to be aware of that amplification. I think Daryl made some good points about mm. um, awareness, self-regulation, mm. or even kind of like um, you know we we've got to stand back a little bit and look at what we're doing. Mm. I mean, you just he jokes about Facebook. There was no meeting that kind of decided how the future of Facebook would impact the world. Right. It was it was an oblivious mm. um, uh, consequence, mm. um, and I think we're going to get more and more oblivious consequences. Um, and we just do our need to do our best to prepare for them. Mm. At the same time, we've got the like the dystopian side of this, and the kind of oh my god, we're the, the you know the curtains drawn back, the genie's out of the bottle. <clears throat> I think it's super exciting, the fact that we are in this this new form of industrial revolution. Yes. It's kind of automatic um, automation mm. uh, revolution. Mm. So we're it's like it's the biggest thing that's happening since well the, two hundred years ago with the industrial revolution that we can we can just like a steam engine mm. completely transformed how you could run a factory. Right. Uh, the way we're using machine learning is completely transforming the world. It is. It and is. we may be fumbling in the beginning, but I mean, that's obviously something you do in the beginning because you, you're taking your first steps. Mm. And what we need to be doing now is talking about why are we fumbling? What's going on? What are the consequences of that? And start talking about it more like we've done now with Daryl and, and start thinking about, so what direction do we want this exciting stuff to take so as not to hurt and harm people? Mm. I mean, it's mm. interesting to think about how we talk about the, the internet being, being such a massive revolution. Just the, the fact that we put this piping in place to transfer data across the world instantaneously. Mm. I don't think that's as big as what you can do with machine learning on that system. Right, exactly. Because it impacts society and societies mm. and mm. cultures in a mm. way which just the mm. piping didn't do directly. Exactly. Because that's another thing. Because, I mean, both you and I were very, very aware of what algorithms could do in the 90s. That's why we were excited about computers. What we could not have predicted was the effects of that when it is widespread through the internet globally, instantaneously, throughout everything. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> It's exciting. It is exciting. It it, it should be exciting. Mm. Uh, but also, you know, playing with fire and burning stuff is exciting. <laughs> you didn't want to go there, man. I know, but you know, I'm just trying to bring up that point because, like, you know, the childhood, mm. those things that get you excited mm. as a child, maybe. Mm. Um, it, it's a similar kind of thing. You've you've got that. Um, 
um, you don't know, you're not aware of the consequences. Right. Something's exciting, but mm. it could be dangerous. It mm. could have it could have impa- implications and impacts mm. that you aren't aware of. You're immature, mm. and we're at that point. And that's a good analogy, actually, because that means if you realize now that sure, it's it's fun playing with fire, and you fly play with fire in your backyard. But now people are are starting fires, and that fire is copied and perpetuates throughout the network which means that you're not just creating the fire and endangering yourself, you're endangering everyone else with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're, you're raising an entire forest to the ground. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. I hope we'll uh, get to talk about this more, which I'm certain of, but and, and I think we have to focus on the positive as well because there's lots of stuff there. So, um, thank you for spending your time with us today. Links and notes from this episode can, as usual, be found on uxpodcast.com. You should be able to find them if you click around in your podcast playing tool of choice. Um, But it's not always easy. (laughs) And if you want something uh, to listen to next, then we recommend uh, episode 166, which is called Oblivious Design. And you really don't like the cover art I have on that episode, do you? (laughs) I don't think so, no. No. (laughs) Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. What's your biggest strength? I'm a fast learner. So what's uh, 11 times 11? 65. (laughs) Not even close. It's 121. It's 121.